Charles and Grace were newlyweds and had just moved into their first apartment. Grace put a shoebox on a shelf and asked her young husband to never touch it. For fifty years he left the box alone. But one day he was in the closet deciding on what to wear and his curiosity overcame him. He told himself, My Gracie loves me. Surely after all this time she won't mind if I take a look. Inside he found two doilies and $2,500 in cash. He just had to ask Grace about the contents. And he'd been right. Gracie didn't mind at all. Laughingly she said, My mother gave me that box on our wedding day, Charles. She told me to make a doily to ease my frustrations every time I got mad at you. Charles was touched that in 50 years she'd been mad at him only twice. But what's the money for, he asked. Oh, she answered, that's the money I made selling the doilies. We like to laugh, don't we? It's fun, really. And we're gathered here today to do just that. The Bible says a joyful heart makes a cheerful face. I've seen some joyful faces since I first arrived, and I know why. You're away from your routine. Someone else is preparing your meal and serving you. You're spending time away that's just for you. Why, some of you are downright giddy. But you and I know that our faces don't tell the whole story. We pretend, don't we? We don't want to come to an event like this and share our problems. We hide our troubles, try to forget about them for a while. God tells us to give thanks in all things. Easy to do when things are going well. But what if we aren't thankful? The facts are, most of the time, we're tired, we're frustrated, overcommitted, and overwhelmed. Some of you have serious difficulties, and I have to admit, those things are not a recipe for a joyful heart. But listen to what it says in the first few verses in James 1. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Does that mean to consider it all joy when I break my arm? How about a terminal illness, or what if I lose my job? The Bible says that joy comes from trusting God and the hope that he gives. You learn to trust his love and power to see you through, no matter what life brings. In fact, believe it or not, trials and sorrows faced with the Lord will enlarge your capacity for joy. And I'll show you what I mean. For today, I have nothing new to share. You've heard all this stuff before. You can buy a book that will give you answers, and I really don't have any gimmicks. All I can do is tell you what's happened to me. And if you go away with just one nugget that will encourage you, then my prayers will have been answered. You know, today people are rushed, frantic to get things done. We are overcommitted, working two jobs to just get by. We're spending money we don't have and too tired to enjoy any of it. We end up out of control, spinning our wheels and getting nowhere. Counselors will tell you that they see more people today with depression than ever before. Have you seen the advertisements about depression? It's epidemic. Now, I know depression is a serious situation, and there are some who need treatment and medication, but many times it's not medication they need, and we'll talk about that in a minute. People are hungry, not just for food, but they hunger for truth. They say, just 
Give me a reason to make sense out of life, a reason to trust something or someone. People are sick, not just physically, but deep within their souls. They say, just give me a reason for living. I want some meaning and purpose in my life. People are in prison, not just behind bars, but locked up in a prison of self-condemnation or shame, maybe despair, or it could be a prison of bad habits. They're either hurting themselves or they've been hurt, and they think no one cares. They say, just give me a reason to feel good about myself. Give me a reason, any reason, to love other people, and oh, how I want someone to love me. From the beginning, God has always had the perfect plan for our peace, our contentment, yes, even our joy. He made us, and he knows what's good for us. He says a joyful heart is good medicine. You remember David, the young boy with the slingshot who killed the giant Goliath? He grew up to be King David, and along the way he experienced great tragedy and sorrow in his life. He was persecuted. He was hunted like an animal. He hid in caves, and later the death of his infant son was a dark time in his life. And yet listen to what he wrote in the Psalms. God will make known to me the path of life. In his presence is fullness of joy, and in his right hand are pleasures forever. He also wrote, Why is my heart in despair? I will praise him. God is my help. David knew the answer. Yes, the Lord is the author of joy. He gives that to us so we will not despair. He knows that even in the midst of sorrow, we can experience great joy. If Jesus lives in our hearts, then he helps us cope. He helps us see things differently. He helps us to take our eyes off of ourselves and focus on the really important things. You know, sometimes the very things that burden us, God has placed in our lives, so as we go through life, we won't miss him. So that's what he wants us to do. Now, how do we do it? Well, first of all, he wants us to stay focused on him. The Bible says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I am counseling a young woman I'll call Karen. She is listless, tired, and her face is creased with worry. She's a single woman who cares for her aging parents. Her mom is terminally ill, and her dad is also disabled. He's cranky and verbally abusive to her. Karen is unemployed, her car doesn't work, and she has a pile of debts to pay. I don't blame her for being overwhelmed. Now, I know... It may be hard for her to change her circumstances, but I helped her see how to make some changes in herself. One of the first things I asked her was how much time is she spending in devotions or her quiet time. Needless to say, she has not felt like reading her Bible or praying. She hasn't been to church in a long time. You know, in times of trouble, God doesn't leave us. We leave him. I told her even in her circumstances, she has a lot to thank God for. His promise to let never leave her is a good place to start. She can thank him for good health, for her home in heaven, for the ability to care for her mom, for the home she lives in, and food on the table. She has the privilege of being able to worship regularly, though she's choosing not to. I reminded her of the people who would be put in prison or even be executed for their faith. There is an island 
in Indonesia, where my daughter Melissa and her family used to live and work. When they were evacuated, there were literally thousands of Christians hiding in the jungle. They were wet, hungry, tired, and afraid, for they would have been shot just because they were Christians. We live in the greatest country in the world where we can worship freely. Now let me put this in perspective and bring it closer to your home. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than the million who won't survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you are ahead of 20 million people around the world. If you attend a church meeting without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than almost 3 billion people in the world. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of this world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, spare change in a dish someplace, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. We are blessed in ways we don't even think about. In 1981, my mother was diagnosed with cancer of the esophagus. She was just 60 years old. Mom and Dad had divorced when I was 13, and Mom had never remarried. She had used alcohol to get through many of her desperate years, but eventually she quit drinking, and my kids, her grandchildren, were her entire life. She was the most hard-working person I've ever seen. Mom came over to our house several times a week, and her first words through the door were, Where's the laundry, and what do you want me to cook for dinner? Helping is what made her happy. And to this tired and busy mom of six, she was a lifesaver. Mom was a new Christian. She didn't know much about the Bible, but there's a verse in Philippians that describes her. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. She lived the last six months of her life with us because she was too ill to be alone. It was really hard for her to give up her independence, but she really had no choice. Our oldest son David was married, and they were expecting their first baby, and Melissa's wedding date was just two months away. And me? I was thick in the middle of caring for Mom. I still had four young children at home, and I was helping Melissa with her wedding plans. You can imagine what it was like. And then one day, when I least expected it, Mom passed away. She actually died in the bathroom, and I'm going to tell you I just about lost it. Frantic doesn't begin to describe how I felt. My kids were outside playing, and I didn't want them to see her like this. So I carried her back to her bed. If you had told me I could ever do something like that, I would have said no way. But you do what you have to do. The next few days were blurry and busy, but life goes on, especially when you have a wedding coming up. Actually, planning for Melissa's wedding was a good thing. After Mom's funeral and all that goes with that, I had to keep busy with the wedding plans. Melissa worked full-time, and she relied on me to do some of the footwork. There were over 500 people invited to this affair. I fell into bed at night exhausted and woke up in the morning with a million things to do. The wedding was December 9th, and everyone who was there will tell you it was one of the most beautiful weddings they had ever seen. 
Melissa chose red taffeta for her bridesmaids' dresses. The flower girls and junior bridesmaids wore white taffeta with red sashes. The groomsmen were in black tuxes. That combination of candlelight and white flocked Christmas trees and red poinsettias along with the brass ensemble that heralded Melissa's entrance was absolutely stunning. The rain that night and my laryngitis didn't damper a thing. Later, we sent the bridal couple off in a flurry of birdseed, kisses, and well wishes, and before I knew it, the guests had disappeared, and it was then that I realized, who's going to clean this up? Remember, this was my first daughter's wedding. I have four daughters, and I never made that mistake again. But that night, my husband Richard and I stood in the middle of the room surveying the damage. You remember what the house looked like in Father of the Bride? Well, that's what this room looked like. My throat hurt. I was exhausted. My daughter and biggest helper and friend had just left for a life of her own, and my mom was gone. And all of that hit me, and with my best laryngitis voice, I croaked, Hey, wait a minute. They're not the ones who need to go away for the weekend. We are. And I laid my head on my husband's shoulder and just sobbed. It was really pathetic. Well, everything looks better after a good night's sleep. Remember that the next time you are overwhelmed. More arguments, more bad decisions, and times of despair happen when you're exhausted, beaten down, sad, frustrated, ready to throw in the towel. If you find yourself in this situation, refuse to make any kind of decision or discuss anything important until you've had a good night's sleep. Everything looks better in the morning. We went home that night, came back the next day, and actually had a good time with all of our kids whipping that place into shape. Well, Christmas was fast approaching, and I had to concentrate on that, but even this was a constant reminder of Mom's absence. Christmas had been Mom's favorite holiday. She used to spend weeks searching for just the right present for each one of us. I remember once a pair of cowboy boots that she bought for Andrew when he was just three. At that time, there weren't very many malls, and Mom took the bus all the way into town to the closest Sears store to get those boots she'd seen advertised. On Christmas Day, Andrew's joy was her joy. and These grandkids were her life, and that's what she lived for. You can see why we missed her. But my feelings went beyond missing. To tell you the truth, I was angry with the Lord. Oh, I didn't say that in so many words, but I was. I went about my days with acceptance and resignation, but I didn't like it. Just plugging away. I can't imagine what I was like to live with. I was really feeling sorry for myself, and joy was the furthest thing from my mind. One morning, I was cleaning the bathroom, scrubbing the tub with a vengeance, and the anguish of the day Mom died overwhelmed me. And bending over the tub, I began to cry out, Oh, God, why did you have to take my mom? She was such a neat grandmother. She lived for her grandchildren. They were her complete life, and now they have to live without her, and I do too. I'm just 41. It's not fair. How many of you know that in times of despair, God will give you a scripture or a song? It was as if time stopped for a moment. I felt God's presence like never before. And in my mind, I heard the words in tune to one of my favorite hymns. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 
Charles Spurgeon once said, There is a sweet joy which comes to us through sorrow. With hot tears running down my cheeks, I felt that sweet joy even in my sorrow. I got the picture. My mom was in heaven. I could actually rejoice that she was free from cancer. She no longer suffered. She was with Jesus, the one who loved her so much and who had died for her. Would I want her back here? Of course not. I learned a great lesson that day, and here's another time to put things in perspective. When we deliberately focus on the details of a tragedy, we lock ourselves into self-pity, and let me tell you, that's a prison of depression and despair. However, when we willingly and deliberately change the way we are thinking, we can begin to see things the way God sees them. We will never understand God's entire plan, but once in a while we will get a glimpse, and when that happens, it will encourage us. I made a commitment that day to never wallow in self-pity again, but to thank God for my mom's home in heaven. And you know what? The world became dimmer, and his light began to shine. He turned sorrow into joy, as crazy as it sounds, and just like in Psalm 63 where it says, My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Not long after that, I was reading my Bible, and I came across Psalm 3, 3 through 5. Listen to what it says. But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. That struck a chord in my heart. I had known the Lord for just nine short years, and oh, I still had so much to learn. But this was definitely a turning point. I began to realize just how much God loves me and what his care for me really looks like. Now, if that isn't a reason to be joyful, I don't know what is. We may not be laughing. That's not it at all. Often in sorrow, after a trial with heavy burdens, when we stay in touch with the Lord, when we acknowledge that he has our best interests at heart, we will feel a deep-seated joy that comes from him. It's a feeling of security, one of contentment, and a knowing that everything is going to be okay. How many of you have wrapped your arms around a weeping child and you whisper, everything is going to be okay? And their sobs subside, and they calm down, because they are safe in your arms. That's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do for you and for me. By the way, it's been over 20 years since Mom died. It's been so much I wish she could have been alive for. There are things I wish I could tell her. The Bible does not say whether we can communicate with our loved ones in heaven, but I know one thing. I talk with God, and I'm sure he talks with his children in heaven. So you know what I do? I just ask him to tell her. It just makes me feel better. Now another good way to keep our minds focused is to memorize scripture and sing hymns or praise songs. But you have to have material to draw from. What you put into your head is what stays there. After a Sunday morning at church, I find myself humming those songs that I sang for days. I just love that. But I missed church for a couple of weeks because of illness, and one day I was singing this stupid jingle. See, Pearson Ford, they stand alone on Fairmont and El Cajon. And I thought, Judy, you've been watching too much television. 
Boy, do those advertisers know how to grab our attention. So does God. That's why he tells us in Colossians 3.16 to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, memorizing scripture, then, is another way to let the word of Christ dwell within you. Listen to Psalm 1, 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates both day and night. The result? He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. Do you want help for your thought life? Do you know it's what we all struggle with the most? I'm telling you, listen to praise songs, sing along with them, memorize scripture, fill your mind with the things of the Lord, and you will find yourself with his words dwelling within you. Now the second thing we need to do is to take care of ourselves. The Bible says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 If you're a Christian, then you know your body is a temple and that the Holy Spirit lives in you. We have an obligation to take care of our bodies in the very best manner that we can. Choices Karen makes may add to her depression. Doctors will tell you that in some cases depression and other ailments can be avoided by adding a little exercise to our daily routine. Now Karen told me that when she gets out and walks or goes for a swim, she feels energized. She's able to cope better. It's a vicious cycle, though, because she feels tired and weak and she can talk herself out of a walk real fast. I have the same battle. Many of you know my husband had a stroke and I am his caregiver. And Richard has told me if I kick the bucket, he's a goner. So I realize I need to keep myself in shape. I go to the gym early in the morning while he's still sleeping. Now, I don't like going to the gym. I like having gone to the gym. And if you exercise, you know what I'm talking about. Exercise energizes you. It gets those little endorphins popping around in your brain, making you feel great. And on the way home, I've planned the whole day. I can hardly wait to scratch things off of my to-do list. So I get home, bounce in the bedroom, whip those covers off of Richard, and say, Okay, sweetie pie, it's a beautiful day. Time to get up. Did you know people who are sleeping do not enjoy loud, cheerful people who have just exercised? He looks at me out of one slit eye and mumbles, You've been to the gym again, haven't you? He told me the other day that this is getting more like boot camp every day, and he calls me Sergeant. But he added, Sweetheart, I really don't mind Sergeant Sweetheart. But we all know how exercise changes us. Our attitudes are better, and we feel energized, more apt to laugh. And laughter adds a great benefit to our bodies. Dr. William Fry is a professor at Stanford University, and he studied humor for over 50 years. He says mirthful laughter is an instant mood changer that can erase fear, anger, anxiety, and depression. He further explains, from a physical standpoint, we know that laughter conditions the heart muscle, exercises the lungs and diaphragm, works all the abdominal and thoracic muscles, 
boosts the immune system, and even increases adrenaline and blood flow to the brain. More than that, laughter increases alertness, creativity, and pain tolerance. It lowers blood pressure, and it improves respiration. Don't you find this amazing? God certainly had the right idea when he created us for laughter. No wonder he says a merry heart is good medicine. So if exercise will get us in a place where we will feel like laughing, then let's do it, because we all need to laugh more. It's good for us. Thirdly, we want to reach out to others. The Bible says, Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. The Bible tells us to regard others as more important than ourselves. We should look out for the interests of others. This, too, is a perfect remedy for changing our attitude. Oh, we love to give at Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's times like these that we hear over and over the messages of peace on earth and goodwill towards men. We get busy and bake those cookies and we give to the poor. And convalescent hospitals have more visitors in December than any other month. These holidays bring out our best and giving makes us feel so good. But all year long we meet people who need a tender touch. Need knows no season. We should be doing this all year long. I heard about an 85-year-old man who used to shop at a Kroger store in Georgia. He was described as sort of a mean old man and bossy and very particular about things. He had breakfast in the store every morning, and sometimes, on hot summer days, he wouldn't bother to wear a shirt or shoes. He frowned, grumbled, and commented on how the female clerks in the store were overweight. Well, the old man died of cancer, and a few weeks later, another man came into the store and began handing out $10,000 checks to several of the clerks. He was a financial advisor for the old man, and he explained that his client had gotten to know the ladies pretty well and thought they could probably use the money. Now, what had they done to merit such a gift? They had talked to him. In 1 Peter 3, we're told to live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic and compassionate. We are not to repay insult with insult, but with a blessing. The Bible also says that the proper use of our words is like apples of gold in settings of silver. People need a tender touch. Did you know that babies who are held grow faster? That the touch of a hand lowers blood pressure? That a smile releases some good hormones in your body and generally causes others to smile back? You and I are going to cross paths with people who are hot-tempered, disgruntled, and impatient, and you could turn their bad day into a good one with a kind word and a smile. And when you see how you affect someone, you win too. Dale Carnegie once said, You may forget tomorrow the kind word you said today, but the recipient of that kind word will cherish it all their life. I'll bet someone comes to your mind right now who changed your life with a kind word or a compliment. There's a story about my sixth grade teacher in the book I have today, Rest Stops for Teachers. I'll never forget Mrs. Kingston, who reached out to me. I was a chubby 12-year-old girl who had a long mop of dishwater blonde hair. I had holes in my shoes. I wore hand-me-down clothes. I had alcoholic parents who were fighting all of the time and a father who was just about ready to abandon his family. 
Mrs. Kingston was my hero. My sixth grade classroom was a safe place to be. Now the Bible says a good word makes a heart glad. Have you looked into a child's face when you have praised him? Have you seen the smile? Have you watched his face light up? That's what's going on in his heart. You can't see it, but his whole body is benefiting. A good word will do that. It happens to you and me, too. When we're encouraged, our hearts are glad. Mamie Adams always went to a specific branch post office in her town because the postal employees were friendly. On one busy afternoon, she stopped by to buy a few stamps. While waiting in the long line, a man pointed out that she didn't have to wait. She could get her stamps at the stamp machine in the lobby. I know, Mamie said, but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis. We must learn to think about how others feel. There are a lot of young people in our lives who need someone to show them how to live. There are senior citizens like Mamie Adams who need someone who will spend time with them. There are angry people who need a gentle word. There are hurting people who need a tender touch. And you and I can give that to them. You know, it's not natural to be a peacemaker. Other people, movies, those degrading sitcoms on television have conditioned us to be sarcastic and selfish. We must cultivate a different attitude. That means choosing a different path, and the only way I know how to do that is to saturate my mind with the Word of God and understand how He wants me to be. Because I'll tell you, I'm going to blow it on my own. Well, it doesn't take a lot of money to be creative. When my six children were still at home, we didn't have extra money. You know how that goes, don't you? My father-in-law always said you're either rich or you have kids. Actually, we were rich in kids, and that's just the way I liked it. Well, my daughters and I would offer to babysit for mothers who needed to go shopping, especially around the holidays. We would feed their kids lunch and give them a nap, and boy, did these moms cherish a free day. Talk about a joyful heart. They literally bounced out to their cars. Sometimes I wondered if they'd remember to come back. Well, we had a house full, and it was busy, but so worth it to the moms and to us. I knew from experience what a day of shopping without the kids was like, and this was a great example for my daughters. And you should see my daughters today. I love their giving hearts, their obvious gifts of compassion and hospitality. They are beautiful women of God. Well, God wants to use you and me, and you know he takes even the littlest of things and makes them big deals. Any ministry, any outreach that touches people's lives is a big deal to him. And while we're doing it, he fills us with joy. Everyone wins. May I put in a word here about hospitality and opening your home? This is a true story. My daughter Melissa recently invited a woman and her family for dinner, and the woman said, It'll have to be in a year. I have three boys in basketball and karate, and I only have a window of about a month where we don't have to be somewhere every spare minute. She was serious. Can you imagine? This woman has lost out on new friends for her boys, a chance to relax, a chance to make a new friend. And I can assure you, her hectic lifestyle will give her many problems down the road. It's got to be a sad day when we can't go to someone's house for a meal. A long time ago, when I was a brand new Christian and I was learning how to be a wife and a mom, an older couple told Richard and me to have people in for dinner. Now, I've told you we had six kids, and I can count on one hand the times we were invited to dinner, but that didn't stop me from inviting others to our home. I didn't necessarily set a beautiful table. I'm not a gourmet cook. 
Our home was very small and modest, but we had missionaries stay with us. We had open houses for our neighbors, and we had lots of families over for dinner. My kids will tell you those were some of the best times of our lives. Now, I don't want to take away from beautiful linens and tableware. Some of you are creative and set a beautiful table, like we have here today, and that's wonderful. But you may be like me. Don't let your circumstances limit you. In your handouts, I've given you a couple of my favorite recipes, so you can do the same thing, and it won't cost very much either. Well, Richard's been in a wheelchair ever since his stroke nine years ago. When we lived in El Cajon, we had heard about the Palm Springs Stroke Recovery Center, but driving there several times a week from San Diego was just out of the question. When we moved to Temecula, we discovered that Palm Springs is just 60 miles away, so we're going twice a week, and Richard is receiving some much-needed recreational and physical therapy. We're meeting people like Barney, who is very depressed. After 45 years of marriage, he's now divorced and living alone, and he told us the other day he has nothing to live for and that dying would be better than living like this. And then there's Kurt, who is just 35 years old. He used to play the guitar and write music. It was his whole life, and he can't play anymore, and he is extremely bitter. I met another woman who is a caregiver, and she's physically exhausted and depressed. Her husband has been in a wheelchair for 10 years, and she's older than me, and it's getting harder and harder for her to take care of him. Every time I talk with her, she cries. My heart aches for these people. Do you think it's a coincidence that we're going to Palm Springs regularly? We're meeting dozens of people, and we're building relationships. One of the volunteers at the center told me that she's never seen a couple like Richard and me. Maybe they see our joy. Maybe they see Jesus in us. Do you think it's a coincidence that I will be speaking and giving my testimony next month at a breakfast meeting at one of Palm Springs' prestigious country clubs on a Saturday? Do you think it's a coincidence that all of these people have Saturday off? Perhaps God has a plan. Remember that verse I mentioned at at first? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. We would never have met these people if it hadn't been for Richard Stroke. Do you know that I go to that center with so much joy I can hardly contain it? I know these people are lost and hurting. I know they need a Savior. And I know God is using Richard and me to introduce them to him. Oswald Chambers said, If through a broken heart God can bring his purpose to pass in the world, then thank him for breaking your heart. I had a broken heart when my husband had his stroke. But I can say with all honesty... I thank God for Richard's wheelchair. God really does have the whole world in his hands, and he'll use me, and he'll use you too if you let him, and he'll give you joy while you're being used. Now, I know I've probably been preaching to the choir, so to speak. Most of you have made a commitment and surrendered your heart to the Lord at one time, but I am always aware there could be someone here who is saying right now, what is she talking about? Or, wow, she's got to be nuts. I used to think the same thing. I remember making so much fun of my neighbors who had a Bible study in their home. I actually felt sorry for them and thought they were out of touch with reality. Or maybe you've heard all of this before and didn't believe any of it. Or perhaps you've misunderstood like I did once just what Jesus has done for you. There was a time in my life when I should have been the happiest woman in the world. I had a wonderful husband, happy and healthy children, and a lovely home. 
We had nothing but prosperity to look forward to. But I wasn't happy. I was depressed and I had a restlessness in my heart that I had tried to fill with everything, but nothing had taken away my fear or despair. I began to drink alcohol like my mom used to, so I wouldn't have to think about my life. I'm afraid of where that might have taken me, but one day my friend Edna invited me to church. Now, I had been to church as a little girl. I had gone with my grandma back in Ohio, and then when we moved to California, I found a church just like my grandma's, and I went by myself for a few years, this little 10, 11, 12-year-old girl. And when I became a teenager, though, it wasn't cool to go to church. At least the crowd I was hanging with thought so. So I quit going. Church had never done anything for me, and I really didn't want to go. I had all kinds of excuses. But Edna was persistent. So to get her off my back... I went to church. I don't know all of what the minister said that day, but at the end of the service, he asked if there was anyone who wanted to give up their search for peace and happiness and ask the Lord Jesus into their hearts. I remember thinking, I've been searching for peace and happiness all of my life. But in this service, I had finally heard the truth about life, God, heaven, and real love, and it was different from what I had ever known. After the service, Edna and I talked some more. And I learned things that were new to me. Oh, I had heard about Jesus' death on the cross. I think everyone has. But I didn't know he did that for me. Edna told me, For God so loved the world, that means you, Judy, that if he gave, that he gave his only son so that if you believe in him, you won't die. You'll have eternal life. And something else. I had never understood that I was sinful and separated from God. Oh, I knew what guilt felt like. That was part of my problem. But I didn't know what to do about it. Like a lot of people, I just hoped that the good stuff I did, like volunteering at a hospital or giving to charity or fixing a meal for my neighbor, I thought those would be outweighed by the bad stuff. You know, like talking bad about someone or cheating on my taxes or lying to my boss. Those were just little things. They didn't amount to much, did they? I have heard that God is good, and I have heard that he is kind. And if that's really true, he'll balance those things out and let me into heaven, won't he? Well, the Bible says no one is good, not even one. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We harbor resentment. We fight jealousy and pride. We're selfish and stubborn, and some of us are angry and bitter. And the wages of sin is death. That's separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this was news to me, and it certainly explained my fear. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. He paid the penalty for my sin and yours, and he is the only one who can do that. Do you know, in all my years of going to church with my grandma and then by myself, I had never once heard that I must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? The Bible says, But to all who believe him and accept him, he gives the right to become children of God. Well, you can't imagine what great news this was and how it hit me. I wanted the peace that that minister talked about, and so I prayed and asked Jesus into my life. And there were no fireworks, but I remember the peace and the joy that came over me. I just knew something good had happened. What I learned later was that when I surrendered my life to Jesus, now he was in control, not me. He was in charge of my security, not me. 
Now I had someone who would love me no matter what, and I had peace and joy like never before. All those things that people yearn for were now mine. Now I tell you these things because my joy, my peace, my abilities are not natural. Listen, we have our ups and downs. Life isn't always rosy at our house. Some days I get discouraged. But I can say with confidence, when you ask Jesus to come into your life and heart and make you new, he will do it. That's his promise. Perhaps there is one person here who would like her life to change. You'd like to find peace and security and joy like I did. Agreeing intellectually that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead, is not enough. We must receive him by faith as an act of our own will. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he sends the same message to each one of you today, whether you are young or older. Maybe there's someone who thinks it's too late to change. Or maybe you think your problems are too difficult and you feel helpless and hopeless. You know what? As long as you're living and breathing, it's not too late. I was 31 when I asked the Lord for forgiveness and eternal life. And let me tell you, without going into detail, coming from a dysfunctional, broken family, alcoholic parents, I've been a high school dropout, a teenage wife and mom, on my way to becoming a full-blown alcoholic. Let's just say I've been around the block. You can fill in the blanks. But you don't need the sordid details. What you need to know is that God changed me. The Bible says those who become Christians are new people. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone, and a new life has begun. While I am a new person, there is no doubt about it. It's been almost 30 years since I've had anything to drink, and right away, God showed me that a child of his doesn't talk the way I used to talk or make the choices I was making, and I would never have done those things on my own. God showed me how to love and support my husband through the good times and the not-so-good ones. I have the joy of nurturing and cherishing my six kids. Five are married, and those five are like five more kids. We have nine grandchildren so far. And for me, it's the perfect family, a family that fills me with joy. Jesus changed my life, and he'll change yours too. All you got to do is ask him, and I'm going to give you a chance to do that. I am going to say a very short prayer. If you want Jesus in your life, If you want to experience his joy, if your heart is racing right now and you know this is something you want to do, all I ask is you follow along with me in your mind and in your heart while I pray. Make this prayer your prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for dying on the cross to save me from my sin. Thank you that you rose again and thank you for the place in heaven you have for me forgive me for my sin forgive me for excluding you from my life would you come into my heart would you make me brand new too and father we thank you for your love and goodness to us thank you for the time we've had here today lord there is nothing too difficult for you and you've proved your great love for us when you sent jesus today we've been encouraged through your word And Lord, you know each and every heart. Nothing is hidden from you. I pray that every woman would believe your word and she would understand how much you love her. 
I pray that we will all experience the joy and peace that you long for us to have. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, if there's anyone here who prayed that prayer for the first time today, I have some great news. You are now a child of God. Your sins have been forgiven, and you'll spend eternity in heaven. Dear one, your future is secure. And the best news is that God can help you change, and he will meet the needs you have in your life. I guarantee it, because I am living proof. And if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to know about it. I promise I won't embarrass you. I just want to give you a hug and encourage you. Or perhaps you have a few questions. You want to know more about this. Or you might want something explained. My email, Judy Scharf, J-U-D-Y-S-C-H-A-R-F, at verizon.net, is on your handouts. I promise, if you email me, I will answer. I would love to hear from you. I want to thank you for giving me part of your busy day. You've been a gracious and attentive audience, and I've enjoyed our time together. God bless you all as you go out today with the keys to a joyful heart.